We are in a series here at Faith Bible Church. We will conclude it two weeks from today called Navigating Life. How do I know God's will for me? We started our series out by laying some groundwork, some foundational principles. The first of which is that whenever we face a decision of utmost importance is that we determine, will this decision, this thing that we're contemplating doing, will this fit within God's boundaries, within His revealed will? As I come to the New Testament and I read commands and principles that are meant for me and my life, does this decision fit within the boundaries of God's revealed will. Secondly, we said that the Apostle Paul actually says in Ephesians 5, this is the will of God, that we walk, or excuse me, that we are filled by the Spirit of God, that we allow the Spirit of God to control us, that according to Galatians 5, we not only allow the Spirit of God to control us, but we walk by His empowerment, that we are walking day by day, moment by moment under the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And if we are living our life within the boundaries of God's revealed will, and we are allowing the Spirit of God to control us, we do not have to worry about stepping outside of His will. We will be in His will. But we're faced with a question still, and that is, But how do I make decisions? What do I use as a grid to make my decisions within the revealed will of God, the clear commands and principles of the New Testament? So we talked about several things of the, for example, if a person is married, the need, whenever we make a decision as a married couple, to do it out of a sense of oneness and decisions that promote oneness. We also talked about the need to seek wise counsel and godly counsel. We noted that whatever we are doing, wherever we are on our journey in life, maybe we're still trying to figure out God's will in an area, we always on a daily basis need to look for open doors, meaning opportunities to talk with people about Jesus as we travel the journey. And then we noted another key principle, and that is that whenever we make a decision, we should seek for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. If we have done all of the rest of those things and we cannot gain peace, then we should not move forward with a decision. Well, having laid those foundational principles last week and today and two weeks from today... We're giving some flesh-on examples of how we can make decisions in some of the biggies in life. Last Sunday we talked about how do I know who I should marry. If I feel a call to get married in my life, how do I know who I should marry? Today we're going to talk about work. What should I do for work in my life? And two weeks from today we're going to talk about Buying stuff. How do I know if purchasing this or not purchasing this fits into God's will for me?
And so today, just to take all of these principles and help put some flesh on the framework, we're going to talk about work. And this morning I want to make a distinction as we look at several passages of Scripture, the difference between doing a job and having a vocation. And I think it is a distinction that we find in Scripture. That as a Christian, each and every one of us, regardless of our place in life, our stage in life, what we're actually doing, each of us have a higher calling when it comes to the idea of work. And a calling is actually the difference between doing a job and having a vocation. For much of the evangelical church, for many years, we have always thought of quote-unquote having a calling only to apply to people in full-time vocational Christian ministry, like preachers. And missionaries. And you, you'll hear people use a phrase like, well, do you have a call? Do you have a call to be a pastor? Do you have a call to be a missionary? Those people who knew me when I was a younger person would say he must have had a call because there's no way he would have ever been a pastor without it. So we always use that phrase in that way, but I am convinced biblically That the idea of a call is not just for preachers and missionaries. That every Christian has a calling on their life for work. And we're going to define that and unfold that today. But a calling is the difference between a job and a vocation. Several years ago, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and a good buddy of mine from college and through graduate school uh, lived nearby, and he came, and we had coffee together, and then we went down to the Haymarket area of Lincoln, which is uh, kind of an area where there's lots of stores and restaurants and things. And my buddy John took me to this bookstore in the Haymarket area, And three days a week, over the noon hour, they have what they call the table. And the owner of this bookstore just opens up for a local church to come in and provide a noon meal three days a week for everyone. You sit at a common table, and if you can pay, great. If you can't pay, fine. You just, if you want to give something for the meal, you put some money into a little envelope and nobody knows if you, if a person pays or doesn't pay. But the point of it was to give opportunity for people to sit down from all walks of life and for Christians to have an opportunity to sit down and have conversations with people with whom they might never interface except at the table. Now, I think that the owner of that bookstore 
viewed his work as more than a job. I think the owner of that bookstore viewed work as a calling. And so what we're going to do today is try to answer the question, how do I know what I should do for work? But it may have a little bit of a a different twist on it than simply trying to answer the question, well, should I be an engineer? Should I be a stay-at-home parent? Should I be a farmer? Should I be a teacher or even a preacher? Uh, we're going to find that the Bible does not give us book, chapter, and verse to answer that question. But the Bible does give us some great direction on answering the question, how do I know what I should do for work? And we're going to see that God is calling every Christian, every person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, every person who is trusting, who is believing that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead, that the Bible is calling every Christian to be a representative of Jesus Christ on this earth in their Work, And we're going to define work maybe a little bit broader than what someone may typically do because I believe that we are called to work regardless of whether or not we receive a paycheck. Meaning, if you're here today and you're retired, these verses still apply to you. That we are called to represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom here on earth in our work. Whether you get paid or not. And maybe some of you receive a check and you still say, I don't get paid. But we have a calling. Now in order to start looking at this, I want us to go all the way back. We've done this several times in this series. All the way back once again to the book of Genesis. Because we see so much of scripture built on the initial framework that we find of God's design in the book of Genesis. So to begin, I ask us to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to see, I believe clearly, in Genesis 1, Psalm 8, and Hebrews 2, that God created man and woman to represent Him on earth in their work. Now, remember Genesis 1 is the creation story. And in the ancient Near East, a person would demonstrate their authority, their sovereignty, in naming something or someone. If you named it, that means you are in a position of authority over it. Thus, we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 10, of God naming his creation. For example, Genesis 1, 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Verse 8 says, God called the expanse heaven. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth. And so naming something 
shows authority over it. It's not a mistake that when we go to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, that we briefly looked at last week, it, we read this. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And there we see in just seed form this concept that God has given mankind, humanity, this role of being his representative on earth. That humanity was put in a position to rule the earth, but was put there by God as his representative. Remember, God is the creator. But God puts man in a position to represent him as ruler over the creation. Look at verse 26 through 28 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now remember, God doesn't have a physical body. God the Father doesn't have a physical body. He's spirit. But when it says that God made man in his image, in a sense, at least partially, we share in his attributes and his character. And a couple of years ago or a year ago, we did a series through the called the communicable attributes of God, those aspects of God that we share in some of those attributes in an imperfect way. But because of that, we can have a relationship with him. We can have a a unity and a communication with God, unlike like an animal in the animal world. And so it says, let us make man in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. For God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see these action words in these three verses of God putting man in a position to rule on the earth. In verse 26, it says he let them rule over the fish. Verse 28, it says that man is to subdue it and rule over the fish and sea, over the birds of the sky and so on. So God created humanity in a position to represent him and his sovereignty on earth. We rule, in a sense, as a co-regent. We rule as representing the almighty creator God. Now, with that backdrop in mind, I want to go back to chapter 2, verse 15, that we've looked at a couple of times in this series, when it said, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Those are work terms. But they are also worship terms. And we said last week in the first five books of the Old Testament, those two words are used in reference to service to God. So clear back in the book of Genesis, we see in the very foundation of how of God's creative work that our work 
is to be viewed as an act of service to God. That our work is to be viewed as an act of worship to God. And we're going to see this, we're going to see this played out in the New Testament. But that New Testament principle that when we work, we're working before the Lord goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now with that in mind, I just want us to turn over to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 8. We see this same principle in, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 8. And the psalmist in Psalm 8, in verse 3, is saying, I just, I'm blown away. We sang the song, I stand in awe of you. And the psalmist is saying, I stand in awe of you. In this, looking at the, you, the, your fingerprints on the heavens and your creative work, and it's unfathomable to the psalmist of the high position that God has assigned to humanity in a position of representing Him over creation. And that's what He's talking about here. In verse 4, What's man that you take thought of Him? The Son of Man that you care for Him? You have made Him a little lower than God. If you have a King James Version or an NIV, it'll say angels there. The the, uh, Hebrew word Elohim could be translated angels. It doesn't happen very often. I think the way the New American Standard translates this is, is better when it just says you've made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and majesty. And then look at how verses 6, 7, and 8 talk about the same thing that Genesis 1 and 2 does. You've made him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. So humanity is God's representative on earth to rule the earth. Now when we come to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, We see the author of Hebrews is still referring back to the same concept. In fact, the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is based on the principle we found in Genesis 1 and 2. Remember the book of Hebrews is all about the fact that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Another way of saying that is it's better to try to approach a relationship with God through putting your faith in Jesus than it is to try to earn a relationship with God by obeying the Old Testament law. Because we can't do it. So that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. That the new covenant, having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, is better than trying to earn a relationship with God through obeying the Old Testament law. As we come to Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is a better mediator between God and man than angels. And then as we come to verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Hebrews 2, the author of the book of Hebrews is forethinking what some some people may argue in his day, saying, well, except when Jesus became a man, is he still superior to angels? Look at what the author of Hebrews does in verse 5. He did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, and he quotes 
from Psalm 8. What's man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. God created humanity with the express purpose of being God's representative on earth through work. That as man and woman rule the earth, they are actually representing the ruler of the earth. Sin entered the picture, and man still has not rule the earth as God designed it, but we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that the last Adam, Jesus Christ, will come back and he will rule the earth. That's why we see passages describing the kingdom where wild animals will lay down to each other and be at peace with each other. Man's sin does not negate God's original purpose for work. And that is to serve God through our work. We have a calling. That when we, as we work, we are to be working as God's representative according to His original purpose. When my wife and I first moved to Dallas, Texas in 1988, no, excuse me, in 1983, uh, I took a job with a company that delivered legal documents all over Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And the documents that we delivered were usually extremely important because they paid lots of money to have us pick up their document and we guaranteed that we would deliver it anywhere in the Dallas Metroplex from the time of the call to when it got delivered within 60 minutes or anywhere within Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex within 90 minutes. And oftentimes I would take and I would deliver a check like for a million dollars or I'd have a multi-million dollar deal signed and then I'd take it back. I used to go into the most prestigious law firms. I went into Roger Staubach's office quite a bit and I actually got to have Roger Staubach sign papers and then take them back to the guy who sent them. Well, later in my career with that company, I ended up being the person who trained all of the new employees. And one of the things that we did is we had a code of dress and ethics that we instilled in our employees because we represented not only our employer, but we represented our customer. So that when we went into uh, a law firm or we went into uh, a company carrying extremely important paperwork, we were actually acting as a representative of the person who hired us. We wrecked them. And because of that, we were called to a certain standard of dress and behavior. What the Bible is saying is that we wrap someone too. Each and every one of us 
who are belong to, to the Lord, each and every one of us who have put our faith in Christ, we are reps. Not just of a company. We are reps of God. And one of his callings on us is to be his representative in our work. Just as we see clear back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, will the Bible tell me exactly what career I'm supposed to choose? No. Now, we we can't go to the Bible and say that I'm supposed to be an engineer or a farmer or a teacher or a stay-at-home parent. We don't see that specificity in the scripture. But we do see some parameters of guidance that will help us in figuring out what should I do. And one of the major questions that we can ask ourselves is this. Can I reflect the Lord in my work in this position? Am I able to act as his representative in this work? Can I reflect joy in this work? Can I, in this particular career path, in this particular role, can I have joy in acting as the Lord's representative in my work? If I can't answer yes to that, I need to find something else where I can have joy in, in a sense, wrapping God in my work. How about the gifts and the abilities that God has given you? Am I able to use those gifts and abilities to serve Him as I rep Him in my work? Now I want us to go to the New Testament just quickly to two New Testament passages where we see these principles even in a, in a more specific way spelled out for us in the New Testament. First passage I want us to go to is Ephesians chapter 6 where we clearly can see that our work becomes a vocation when we recognize that we represent Jesus and his kingdom. So I've made a distinction between a job and a vocation. A vocation carries with it a calling. That's the difference between a job and a vocation. I am carrying out a vocation when I am recognizing that God has called me to represent Jesus Christ and His kingdom in my work. That as I'm working, I'm actually ultimately serving Him. Just like we saw clear back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. Look with me at Ephesians 6 starting in verse 5. Now this is really interesting because these verses are addressed to slaves. The New Testament does not condone slavery. It does not call for slavery. But slavery was present. A person who's a slave does not have a whole lot of choice in their work, do they? But here it says, 
Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of heart as to Christ. So here the Apostle Paul is saying to a slave that as you do your work, do it as if you're serving Christ in your work. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free God's the one who is going to judge the intent of people's heart and judge people's work here Paul says as we are working we are actually to be doing it with a heart attitude that it's really Jesus Christ who I'm serving. I'm his representative here on earth. He has called me to work. And as I work, I serve him. Same principle is found in the book of Colossians. Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Again, Paul is saying when we work, ultimately we're not working for an employer. We're working for Jesus Christ. He is the one who has this calling on our life to represent Him. He has charged us to be His representative on earth in our work. Now remember with me in just the previous couple chapters in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. It tells us, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are kingdom people. At the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you became a kingdom person. You're part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. One day we'll see that come to its fruition. But today we are representatives of the king. And as representatives of the king, we rep him in one way in our work. Several years ago, I went through some training called Halftime Venture. And the purpose of it was to take a look at your work and to think through, you know, I'm here, I'm halfway through my, my working life. What do I want the second half to look like? And this group called Halftime Venture has a byline to what, to their ministry. And it, and the byline is this, moving from success to significance. Now, I know what they meant by that, but it lacks something. You almost get the idea for what they're saying in their byline is that, okay, the first half of my, my working life, I'm going to strive to be successful. I'm going to strive for, 
financial sustainability, that I'm going to, I'm going to strive to do the absolute best that I can so I can say, quote unquote, that I've arrived. And then when I make it there, then I can ask the question now, how can I be significant with my life? And I think that byline creates a false bifurcation, a, a, a false division that shouldn't be there in our thinking, in our work. We don't spend the first half of our career trying to be successful and then think about now, how can I use my career for God? Our whole career is to be striving to have significance for Jesus Christ. Our heart, our passion in our work is that I need to be reflecting Jesus Christ in all that I do. And in our work is not, that phrase in our work is not contingent of whether or not I receive a paycheck. Every Christian has this sense of call on his or her life. You're here maybe and you're re, you are retired. You don't have to go to an office every day and receive a check. Great! But that does not eliminate the concept of vocation from your life. All that does is maybe it opens up uh, a, a wider expanse for you to say, now how am I going to serve Jesus Christ in my work today. You're a stay-at-home parent. You have a calling on your life just as much as a person who does not stay at home. But the question is, what is, how am I going to serve, how am I serving Jesus Christ as a stay-at-home parent? Regardless of that career choice, the call is the same. I am to represent Jesus Christ in my work. Now, how does this help us in our original question? Yeah, but how do I decide what I'm supposed to do with my life? And sometimes people are still asking that question at age 60. Oftentimes, it's the question that some are asking in their 20s. Age doesn't make a difference. How do I know what I'm supposed to do with my life? Well, again, the Bible doesn't tell us book, chapter, and verse of what particular career path one should have. But it does give us clarity as far as thinking through some parameters in this whole thing of work. And one of the major parameters is this. Every person needs to have a sense of call. It's not just a thing for missionaries and preachers. Everyone has a sense of call. Secondly, God's original intent for his, for work, for his people, for humanity, is that we would actually rep- be his representatives on earth in our work. And we see that principle laid out for us in the Old Testament, but it carries all the way through to the New Testament so that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, in your work, you need to be serving Jesus in your work. 
So a person saying, now what should I do for a career? Two things that we've just talked about need to be very much in that person's mind. Can I, in this career choice, represent Jesus? Do I feel like my giftedness and my skill set would allow me to work with joy representing Jesus in this career path? I don't think God is so concerned about what we're doing as he is concerned about who you're serving in your work. And so we find this clear idea that every believer has a calling on their life. That every believer is called to more than just a job. That a job becomes a vocation when we recognize that we represent Jesus and his kingdom in our work. Father, we thank you for these verses We thank you for how practical your word is, even down to things like our work. Help us this week as we go, each of us go through our daily routines to view what we're doing as you view it, as serving Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.